From bloated and tired to free and inspired, welcome to Free and Inspired Radio with Philip Watkins, your weekly dose of everything digestion and mental health related. We hope you enjoy this episode. Here is your host, Philip Watkins. Yes, yes. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Free and Inspired Radio. I'm your host, a naturopathic practitioner, Philip Watkins, and I'm grateful to have you with us today. If you're new to the show, well, the title says it all. It's all about feeling free and inspired and exploring the many different avenues you can take to get there, whether it's deep dives on digestion and mental health solutions or guests who offer their own stories and answers. I hope I can be the type of guide you can rely on to unlock the agency you have to reach your own mental and physical competency. Let's get started with what's coming up on today's episode. Coming up on this week's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Gosh, it's been almost six weeks since episode 30. Welcome back to Free and Inspire Radio. My name is Philip Watkins. If you are new to the show and this is your first time, welcome. This is my first show for six weeks of holidays. I've experienced numerous joys as well as a very interesting quarantine time. (laughs) I hope you've had a very nice time since I've been away. Maybe you've caught up on some other episodes of the show. Maybe you've just been enjoying your summer, enjoying your winter if you're in the Southern Hemisphere. But hey, we're back onto it now. Free and Inspired Radio is weekly again until my next holiday which who knows will be uh, maybe sometime around the end of the year but for today I wanted to really re-enter the show with a bang and we are looking at SIBO small intestinal bacterial overgrowth today and we're going to do your very own beginner's guide to small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or as I'm going to refer to it SIBO So SIBO, as an acronym, is one of the many modern ways of handling IBS, and in some cases, it's symptoms. Now, a meta-analysis and systematic review where researchers combined studies for better conclusions brought together 25 separate studies confirming the link between IBS and SIBO. So this is where, obviously, this beginner's guide is pretty pertinent if you're one of those people that has been experiencing IBS symptoms. Some estimates have SIBO SIBO positive in up to 70% of IBS cases. So once again, just reinforcing that uh, importance for you if you are suffering from IBS. One study diagnosed SIBO in almost 80% of people living with IBS. So what the hell is it? Why is it important to investigate if you've got IBS? And especially some of these symptoms like bloating, diarrhea, constipation and abdominal discomfort or distension. So that's what this episode's all about. We're going to be looking at answers to these questions, some ideas about how people develop SIBO and the process of testing and treating it. And a little bit more, I'm going to try and add some of my clinical experience into this as well, if I can, just to give you some more reality-based kind of insights, but I'll do my best. But 
Let's get started now. For some people, including patients of mine, the concept of SIBO is a new one. Its development, however, has been almost two decades in the making. Its connection is largely came about via an evolution of how imbalances in different types of bacteria in the digestive tract affect health. So if you've been reading about your digestion and irritable bowel syndrome for a while, you may already be familiar with the term intestinal dysbiosis. It's just a medical or scientific term for the imbalanced bacteria to which we're referring to. So this intestinal dysbiosis in SIBO is an imbalance between desirable probiotic bacteria or bacteria that have a, a positive function for you and less desirable species of bacteria, as well as a broad increased volume of bacteria generally in the small intestine. Now, whilst this imbalance can cause the inflammation associated with many other conditions, Let's focus more on what happens when the volume of bacteria gets too high and how this happens, hence the term overgrowth. Recent studies in 2020 showed people positive for SIBO had four times the usual amount of bacteria in parts of the small intestine when compared with healthy subjects. In contrast to the colon, this increase in bacteria in the small intestine is one of the primary features of SIBO. Now, the same study found high levels of specific families of bacteria also. Now, these, some of these bacteria are associated with bloating specifically, so that's Enterobacteriaceae family, and urgency with bowel movements, so the Aeromondaceae family, which are both specific for their prelistic conditions there. So they're able now to get a little bit of an, basically an explanation for how these symptoms can develop. This study begins to explain the underlying features of the bacterial environment that causes bloating and altered bowels in IBS. It also led to the agreed definition of SIBO, which is the presence of excessive numbers in the small intestine causing gastrointestinal symptoms. So I'll repeat that. The definition of SIBO is the presence of excessive numbers of bacteria in the small intestine causing gastrointestinal symptoms. Now, the important part of this definition is not the excessive part, the excessive number of bacteria, it's actually that they're causing GI gastrointestinal symptoms, and we're going to get to that. Similarly to IBS, signs and symptoms can present differently in different people, and this is why it, you, you know, your doctor may not be having this conversation with you too soon, because we still need quite a large body of research to really get a better confirmation of how SIBO is affecting people in different ways. Evidence points to bloating, gas, fullness, also known as distension, flatulence, and diarrhea as the most common symptoms in up to two-thirds of people experiencing SIBO. So I'll repeat those. Bloating, gas, fullness, flatulence, and diarrhea are the most common symptoms in up to two-thirds of people experiencing SIBO. Now, other symptoms of SIBO can include nausea, abdominal cramping, constipation, as well as poor energy and concentration. And if you're new to the show, you'll, you may not know that the big feature of all of the subjects of this show is the connection between the brain and the gut. And this is where poor concentration and poor energy can also originate from the brain and its relationship with the bacteria in the gut too. So in more severe cases of SIBO, some nutritional deficiencies can also occur. For example, vitamin B12, iron, and vitamin D can be affected. 
that an important note here is that conditions that coexist with SIBO, such as low stomach acid, and when I say low stomach acid, what I'm really saying is the gastric juice isn't acidic as it needs to be, and poor digestion of fats most likely contribute to these deficiencies. So these, these conditions also appear with SIBO and can actually be part of the origin story, which is what we're going to look at now. So most often when I start the conversation with my patients around SIBO, the first question is, how does it happen? How do I get it? And this is where we still need to know a little more, even though we have, oh, I could list out a tw- 10 of particular, you know, different ways of it, of SIBO developing. But we're going to look at the main ones today, or at least for this week in this episode. SIBO appears to align with the title functional digestive disorder. Now, I say this because most of the critical reasons for the develop of, development of SIBO originate from a breakdown in function, and that's how we're going to look at this today. So, for example, the digestive system relies on the mouth and the gastric juice, or think your hydrochloric acid in your stomach, to do the mechanical part of the digestive process. An easy way to think about this is just more as preparing the food to be de- deconstructed into its components. It can then be distributed into the body when it reaches the small intestine. So the mechanical digestion in the stomach and the mouth really just prepares the food to leave the tube or the digestive tract and enter the body in the best way it can. So the mouth starts the mechanical process with chewing. Makes sense? And the stomach finishes the job by churning it all up and beginning the process of digestion. Now for most, the problems begin with not chewing our food enough. I had this conversation just recently with a patient that the, the studies around how many times you should chew your food, I think, are a little impractical, a little unreal, and look, just maybe just be more mindful when you're eating. Maybe just try and at least chew food four or five times instead of trying to breathe it in, as I've been guilty of in the past. But One of the immediate consequences of not chewing your food is that the digestive enzymes in the saliva responsible for breaking down some of the vegetable fibers, for example, whilst chewing, don't get exposed to the food sufficiently. The food then leaves the mouth inadequately digested at that point before it gets to the stomach. Now, this insufficient exposure to the saliva in the mouth also has immune consequences, which is another cause of SIBO, which we'll get to after the break. Moving into the stomach, the gastric juice, which houses the acidity and the enzymes to continue the breakdown process of the food from the mouth, can also be less effective. Now, this dilute acidity can have significant effects on the origin of SIBO. The first is through is in the gastric juice in the stomach continues to do a suboptimal job of breaking down your food. So just like the mouth, the stomach doesn't do an effective job because uh, something called achloridria, and the, the food then leaves the stomach for the small intestine, not ready to leave the digestive tract and enter the body. Unfortunately, there are only minimal measures to continue the breakdown process of your food in the small intestine. A consequence of this is that the food then sits in the small intestine instead of entering the body. It remains in the small intestine and ferments, helping bacteria to thrive in the process. This flourish in bacteria occurs because the undigested food leaves nutrients for the bacteria to feed on, and that also reflects a lack of pancreatic enzymes, which we'll also revisit in our little section about the immune system. So basically, it's all you can eat, really, honestly. That's how it works. The less 
that your food gets digested properly or mechanically broken down if you like the more or the bigger the buffet there is for this, the bacteria in the small intestine to feast so from here the food can continue to travel in the small intestine through peristalsis or through that natural wave-like motion that pushes your food through the digestive tract until it settles at the junction between the small intestine and the large intestine or the ileum of the small intestine. This part of the small intestine is situated around the belly button and goes some way to explain why people develop symptoms two to three hours after eating. It actually takes this long for the food to get to this point of the small intestine with that full feeling lower in the abdomen. I know a lot of people especially clinically when I ask them where their bloating's coming from or where their fullness is coming from, they often point to the belly button without any prompting. And once again, this for me is a relatively clear sign that they might be worth checking for SIBO. So all this to say that SIBO can often reflect the digestive system's ability to deconstruct your food. Now, I've done a whole episode on this, and if you want to, I think it's episode two of Free and Inspire Radio around the focus of function over food and why oftentimes a lot of people's ideas around how food might be affecting them is a little bit misdirected in the sense that it's actually the digestive system that's doing uh, is actually causing a lot of these symptoms for people there are many other causes of SIBO and we're going to explain more we're going to explore excuse me more of, of them next but let's have a quick break and we'll be back with more on free and inspired radio episode 31 SIBO beginner's guide very shortly be back soon. Woo! Time to take a break. Are you enjoying this episode of Free and Inspired Radio? There's no better time to take back your personal health sovereignty. If you want to connect with more free and inspired episodes, simply subscribe to your favorite podcast platform or visit the website at www.philipwatkins.health for more information. Let's get back to the show. Yes, yes. Welcome back to episode 31 of Free and Inspire Radio. Thanks for sticking with us through the break there. We are going through your beginner's guide to small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO. Now, in the first part of the show, we touched on how function can cause uh the SIBO and how it basically develops from the a lack of function or a you know suboptimal function and in this part of the show we're going to now bring in the immune system and see how this suboptimal general function that we've talked about uh bring you know kind of causes an immune response or, or lack of in this case allowing the bacteria to kind of uh, grow and flourish now, the first component of the immune system called secretory IgA is one of the most important parts of this process. So this immune cell is abundant in the saliva and the digestive tract, and secretory IgA plays a critical role in maintaining the immune response, especially when screening for bacteria in our food. It's often considered the first line of defense against bacteria coming into our bodies from the outside world. Now, this first line of defense can break down things in two ways. So the first we touched on which just before, that if we don't chew our food enough, the immune cells that are also with the enzymes in the saliva just can't get the exposure they need to screen the contents of the food. 
then the bacteria slip through the cracks and enter the stomach. This job is actually called immune exclusion. It is one of the main functions of secretory IgA. And interestingly, allergies are also connected to low levels of secretory IgA as well as part of this immune exclusion in that if there is an allergen coming through uh, from you know either through the airways or through food the secretory IgA can also tag it and deal with it um, from an allergy point of view which I found super interesting. Now the second way the secretory IgA can break down things is via stress-induced deficiency and I find this very, very pertinent and I actually see this a lot in testing. Now different forms of stress can play a massive role in the immune system as I'm sure after the pandemic we're all very sure of um, but this can cause significant drops in this critical immune first responder. Now, the acidity of the gastric juice in your stomach should handle the bacteria that secretory IgA missed. Now, we often don't think of it, but the acidity in our stomach and how important it is when it comes to our protection from bacteria and other allergens is crucially important. I'm just going to repeat that. The, we often don't think about the acidity in our stomach and how important it is when it comes to our protection from bacteria and other allergens. It is, however, crucially important. And most of the time, it's hard to fathom just exactly how much it's taking care of. Bacteria such as Streptococcus and Escherichia coli or E. coli are main offenders and their entry into the small and large intestine can often be a precursor to both SIBO and IBS. And interestingly on that, E. coli infection can be one of the forms of infection that will, will trigger IBS in people and they call that post-infectious IBS. So that's also kind of tying in all of these things as well. Now, enzymes secreted from the pancreas into the beginning of the small intestine don't just break down your food. Sometimes these enzymes don't get secreted as well as they can be, giving bacteria another opportunity to dodge the immune system's response. So if we break this down a little bit, we've got the immune system in the saliva not getting enough exposure to the food the immune system in the stomach not being able to do its job enough because the acidity is too dilute. And then almost a last resort is some of the enzymes from the pancreas in the small intestine, which amongst other things can also play an antimicrobial effect, you know, kind of killing some of these bacteria. But if all three of these things then break down, then the immune system's ability to stop bacteria entering the digestion and having its effect on the digestive tract from there becomes pretty benign. It's you know it's it's a big deal. So hopefully now you're seeing the connection between that low function that we were talking about before the break and how that affects the immune system's ability to do its job. So aside from the function of the digestion, the breakdown of the immune response, a process called motility is also a critical factor in SIBO forming. In terms of the digestive system, motility seems like peristalsis. There's also something called the migrating motor complex, which is almost like a cleaner between meals as well. And the aim is to try and clear bacteria. It's trying to clear, manage and maintain the bacterial environment in the digestive tract. And in another way, the uh, to visualize motility, I ask patients to think of it as a conveyor belt. 
So sometimes at different points on the conveyor belt, things can slow down. Now, it just so happens if some of these processes discussed previously aren't as effective as they could be, this could just be slowing down the conveyor belt, right? So how does this slowing of the conveyor belt cause SIBO? Well, the slower the transit of food on the conveyor belt, the easier it is for the food to ferment, feed bacteria, and cause gas and bloating. In contrast to diarrhea, which we mentioned was one of the main symptoms of classic SIBO, we often see slower motility in people with SIBO who have constipation. And that could almost be another episode. You know, IBSC, methane gas, which we'll talk about, and SIBO. It's a lot more complicated than it seems. And interestingly, the one of the issues that they're finding is that we're supposed to have methane, even though it causes constipation. Anyway, I'm not going to get distracted, excuse me. Interestingly, when it comes to motility, the brain, specifically serotonin, plays a significant role. So this connection between the brain and the digestion has been well researched and evidence confirms that people living with constipation and the IBS symptoms that come with it have lower levels of serotonin when, it, when compared to healthy people. So if this is the case for you, then you'll often find a big part of your treatment, if confirmed with SIBO, is a modulation of serotonin and motility via herbal and nutritional formulas that play a role in stabilizing your serotonin levels so that it can have a better effect on your motility. How are we going so far? Lots of information today, but let's keep running. So... Moving forward, what's the process of determining if your digestive symptoms are down to SIBO? So you may remember earlier in this episode that we, I mentioned that we can test and treat everything, which we can, and let's explore that now. So there are two main tests to help you gain some clarity here. The first test, I believe, is the most important, and that's a lactulose breath test. This test helps to diagnose the overgrowth in the first place and is critical mainly because even after listening to all this going, you know, excuse me, you know, I might have SIBO and I should go and sort this out. Oh my God, I might have some answers. You may actually not have it. <laughs> and this is why testing is important. You don't want to embark on a treatment just because you feel like you have it. Uh, it it's really a big treatment as we'll talk about. And if you don't have it, maybe there's some other reasons for why you're, you know, you're feeling the way you are and they can be investigated too. Moving forward, the lactulose breath test for SIBO involves a three-hour process of tracking gas formation as it occurs in the small intestine and down towards and into the large intestine. This gas formation is where the lactulose syrup comes in. Drinking lactulose syrup sends a figurative buffet into the small intestine for the bacteria to feast upon. This process makes gas, hydrogen and methane appear as a byproduct. And at different points during the three-hour process, you breathe into a sample collection tube that we can measure the amount of hydrogen and methane present as the buffet transits towards the large intestine. So that lactulose really does trigger you know, a lot of these gases and we can measure that, which is super cool. Once we get these samples collected, a lab then plots the amount of hydrogen and methane on a graph together with the timing and the position of the measurements as it relates to the transit of the lactulose through the small and large intestine. SIBO is present if levels of hydrogen increase by 20 parts per million and methane, classically lower in volume, grows comparatively to, to that, generally single figures into double figures. 
So a comprehensive stool exam can th- actually add a different element to the testing and finding out things. And this is the second test that I wanted to talk about. So a comprehensive stool exam can help to explain how the SIBO might have formed in the first place. Okay, so look, when it comes to stool exams, it can be challenging to glamorize pooing in a box. But if it helps to explain how the SIBO is formed, I can tell you from a lot of patients who do want to know how they got their SIBO, it is worth going through that initial sample collection. So it's within the stool that we can check your secretory IgA levels, which is super cool. Check on your stomach acidity and look how you're absorbing your fats and carbohydrates. The stool exam can also give clues as to which bacteria are causing the problems and the current situation regarding your fiber intake, prebiotic and probiotic levels as well. And this is very important when it comes to helping you recover from the SIBO once the bacteria has been cleared. These markers combine to create a more personalized treatment plan that considers the nuanced origins of SIBO and how they cause your IBS symptoms. So a lot of the time, next question is what happens if the lactulose breath test shows I'm positive for SIBO? Well, we start the treatment. One of the ways SIBO was initially confirmed was through antibiotic treatment, reducing the presence of the overgrowth on retesting or showing a negative result for SIBO and the IBS symptoms also resolving, which is the point, right? Whilst this was predominantly for people with with SIBO and diarrhea, Uh, Evidence shows that a natural approach combining different herbal formulas along with dietary intervention can be just effective as the antibiotic treatment, rifaximin, which is a generalized antibiotic that they use for SIBO or has been approved for SIBO. Unbeknownst to many, there is a specific SIBO-oriented prescriptive diet named the biphasic diet created by Dr. Norella Jacoby, who's practicing out of Australia. This diet is a 10 to 12-week long program that's actually a prescriptive diet that removes uh, things like fructose and starch in order to give you the best chance of both recovering your digestive function but also to clear the bacteria that might be causing these these overgrowths and all these problems for you. So what do you think? Wow, this is a long episode. Okay, we're definitely back. It's the longest episode for a while and uh, we've covered a lot of ground here, right? So from the origins of SIBO to its causes, how to determine if you have it, what treatments looks like, I've tried to give you a full review of how to begin exploring things for yourself. But I don't think any of this is the most essential part of this guide. Now, from me to you, the most important part of this guide is that there are answers and explanations, especially for those who are struggling with gut issues for as long as they can remember and feel that the chance of solving things is lost or past. I just I'm running out of ways to count how many people have really had have presented with zero options they've run out of ways to try and help this you know these symptoms and fortunately uh, the SIBO process has, has proven to be one that has offered them a level of freedom out of these problems and this is what it's all about right so hopefully this episode can be a catalyst for you to go and source um, a solution for you or someone who can help you to explore this of course philipwatkins.health you can book an appointment to see me 
I'm also uh, a SIBO doctor certified practitioner. So that means I've done the work with Dr. Norella Jacoby on the biphasic diet and how to apply it. There is also a vegetarian one for people as well. So if you, of course, want to work with me, you can. Shameless self-promotion, but hey, it's been six weeks. Before we finish this episode of Free and Inspire Radio, if you'd love to hear more from me and new articles, find the references for this article, um, for this article, for this episode, and more, jump over to the website, philipwatkins.health, and join the community via the newsletter sign-up on the homepage there. Your reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify definitely help me get the word on the street. A rating, anything, this is a begging. <laughs> it really does help. Um, so also, if you're listening to this on YouTube, throw the video a like and a subscribe to see when each new podcast is uploaded. Also, to help the video get spread around the internet like by Google. I always spare a bit of time on the show to send shouts to the listeners of the show who actually get this far. Uh, The show is about helping you to find the freedom to feel inspired again. I hope this gets one step closer for you. Thank you for being a lovely listener who listens to a whole show. Until next week, take care of yourself and those around you. And if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, stay cool. And if you're in the Southern Hemisphere... Stay warm and I will be with you again for Free and Inspire Radio next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Oh my gosh, you made it to the end. This show is all about you and we hope you finished this episode feeling one step closer to feeling free and inspired. We'll be back next week, but if you want to know more about Philip, please catch a digital flight to www.philipwatkins.health for further details about how we might be able to help. In the meantime, have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, and we'll see you for another episode next week.